Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. You know, they, they, I'm thankful for them. That's what I can say right there. I'm thankful for them, whatever. They did an awesome job. Shout out. Thank you, Big Philly Ellis, for leading us in worship, the rest of the whole team. So y'all ready to get into this word this morning? All right. Praise the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Jesus, Lord. We thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus, Father, Lord, for sending him to die on the cross for our sins. Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, Lord, that because you resurrected and came up out of the grave, that we are resurrected with you, Father, Lord. We praise you, Father, Lord, that our dead lives have been brought up out of the grave, Father, Lord. Your word says that as we die to ourselves, we will live. You said you're the resurrection. And when we follow you, though we die, we will live, Father Lord. So we are literally the real walking dead out here. We are alive and dying at the same time and living in abundance at the same time. And we will have eternal life in you. So, Father, we're here today to celebrate that, Father Lord. We celebrate it every single day. But today we make a monument out of celebrating it, lest we forget. So we thank you, Father Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, and your love towards us, Father Lord. We thank you, Father Lord, and we, as much as we can grasp, Father Lord, and get our self-righteousness out of the way to understand that we did absolutely nothing to deserve it, but this is a gift that you have given to us and that you pursued us with. For that, Lord, we offer our worship to you, Father Lord, and I know it's so pitiful for what you deserve, but Lord, we thank you for giving us even eyes to be open to scream and yell your name and to call you Father, Lord, and that you've grafted us into your family as your children. So we praise you and thank you, Father, Lord, for resurrecting our dead lives. And we thank you that we could be here to celebrate in freedom this morning. We thank you for all the Christians and all the believers around the world right now that are celebrating um, that in the universal church, Lord, that our hearts are knitted together as one body up under the work of your son, Jesus, to your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 But what I meant by that last statement is that we are connected to a huge, huge family. And this topic that we're talking about today for Easter resurrection is what knits us all together in the universal church. So it's pretty awesome. So don't worry about the bloods and the crypts. We got more people, y'all. Tell him. All right. All right, so this morning, we're going to be inside of Colossians 2. Um, we're going to go in Colossians 2, and y'all going to have to roll with me on this text. It's going to be a lot of text I'm going to be reading today. Um, I'm hitting this sermon a little bit different because, um, you know, when it's Easter, you're kind of like, you know, the tendency of your, your pastor or preacher is like, I'm about to go do my Easter sermon. You can turn on the show mode real quick. And, um, and so I kind of... When I, when I went to go approach this sermon, like I just, I was like, God, I, I know you don't care about a show. Like, what is it you want to say this morning? What do you want us to, what do you want me to preach? What is it that you want your church to know? And he led me to this text in Colossians 2. And for some reason, I swear to you, I, I was, I was kind of, you know, grieving through the Easter text. So like, what am I going to preach? And I must have looked through 50 different things. And I got to this right here. And I was like, that's it. But it's peculiar. Um, 
but I believe for 100%, this is what God wants me to preach this morning. So y'all just rock with me. One of the things I want you to get as we go through this text, it's going to definitely point us to the resurrection and our identity, but it also, the context of this actual scripture is very important. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and spoil the whole thing. Paul is talking to the Colossians, and he is pointing them to Jesus in this amazing way. And the reason I think this word is relevant right now, even on Easter, is because um, I believe this is what God wants to say to his church about holding to Jesus Christ as the head, right? And not being misled by anything at all. This scripture, the Colossians, is one of those books. It's peculiar because it feels so modern when you read it. Because we think a lot of new age stuff that pops up today and all these different sects of beliefs and myths and everything else that go against the church, we think they're brand new, but they're not brand new. And so when Paul wrote this, it sounds like he just woke up and started looking at the news last night and writing yesterday. But you know, this thing is thousands of years old. You feel me? So let's go ahead and just roll through it, all right? Colossians 2 says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen, seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Fellas, make sure y'all hit the clock for me in the back. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you, excuse me, delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul starts off and he says, how great a struggle I have for you. Like what struggle is he talking about, right? If you look at Paul's other text, Paul says this thing. He says, my life is always in peril. Meaning that his life is always, he feels like his life is always being threatened or something that he cares about is always being threatened at all times, right? says that throughout the scriptures in different various ways. And in this text, what we're going to see is Paul describing one of those perspectives of peril that he actually faces. And it's actually something that we as Christians all should carry. It doesn't matter whether you're a minister or you're a, a lay member or whatever. We're all children of God, and we all have this responsibility to esteem others higher than ourselves. So it means that we actually care about their well-being, right? And so we end up wearing that weight. When you're in church, you may not know somebody who sits across the church, but you can sometimes see when they're struggling a little bit. And it may wear on your soul like, sister so-and-so ain't really coming through lately, or she's been limping a little bit. We wear those things on ourselves. You feel me? Or you might be, you know, being a little Facebook troll and peeping somebody's stuff out. Like, yo, they, you know, no, party every now and then. They party a little too hard. You know, are they okay? You get what I'm saying? And so Paul is wearing the weight of these people in their soul, right? So he has this struggle. All right, and he says this right here. He says, my concern is this. He says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And that mystery is in Christ. He said, which is Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, he says, I don't want you to get taken away by plausible arguments. So plausible arguments are basically slick arguments. They're arguments that sound like something, but really aren't something. So do you get the weight of his concern here? He's worried about his people getting pulled away by false doctrines. I'll give it to you like this. If you're a parent in here, then you understand this, the, the concern. Because like, 
I know sometimes I go in my kids' room at night and I look at them while they're sleeping and I'm just kind of praying over them, but I'm praying they hear what I'm saying because they don't know what's really real. When I tell them, you know, love your sister, make sure you take care of her, they don't understand what that really, really means, but me as a parent, I actually understand what it means. I, I know what it looks like for people to grow up and they have beef with their siblings. You get what I'm saying? I know what it looks like for parents to be grieving because they're like, I'm going to check out of here after a while and my, my, my kids aren't even going to love each other. You get where I'm coming from? Or when you tell your kids, hey, listen to my words because they're going to save you. You understand what I mean? My mom used to tell me, she's like, yo, when I used to bring my friends in the house, she was like, yo, that kid is a bad kid. You need to watch them. You need to watch them or whatever. I'm like, all right, mom, he's a good kid. Next thing you know, I'm walking straight out of, out of jail, up in jail like this with all them kids, you know what I'm saying, for not listening. But it was, it was wearing on her heart because she cared about my well-being. And it's the same thing that's going on with Paul right here. I want you all to really understand the weight of the context of this conversation, that as a leader in this church, he actually is carrying around this weight right here, right? And so... He says, so he says, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is pointing them to Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm concerned that you're going to get pulled away with some slick stuff that sounds like something, all right? But it's not really anything at all. And it's funny because it's, there's a bit of irony because today is Easter. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you'd be on Facebook, but everybody's taking shots at Easter real hard. They're like, yo, this is... This is, you know what I'm saying, start out as a pagan holiday, or maybe it didn't start as a pagan holiday. And there's so many different things that come around, even the tradition of Easter. So even for us as Christians coming to worship today, we have to deal with the, we have to wrestle with that dilemma. Like, do we come, are we here for tradition? Or are we here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God? You get where I'm coming from? That's what I mean when I looked at the text today. Am I going to come do Easter because it's the tradition? Or are we going to actually come do what we do and worship God? Because we do that every single day. His mercies are made new every day. So it's always sweet. It's not sweet because this is today, but this is a monument for us to remember. And we as Christians redeem what's broken. We fix the breach, right? So I don't care if this used to be Satan's birthday and everybody used to throw a party on the block. We, we Christians. We like drug dealers. We come and snatch your block and like, this is our block now. So this, we, we on the block today. This is Easter Sunday. This is our day. We about to turn it into Jesus' day. I don't care who had it before. It's ours now. You get where I'm coming from? So I'm going to let you know. It's just funny that I'm landing in this text and this is what he's actually getting at. Don't let anybody pull you away with slick stuff. So be at ease that it's Easter. You can worship on any day you want to. And you can take holidays and snatch them up to the glory of God, all right? Amen. All right. Verse 6, he says this. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And listen to verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He's taking everything concerning them, and he's just narrowing it back to Jesus Christ. That's what today is about. That's what Easter is for. That's what we actually do this for, not just for tradition. This is a monument, and it's a day that is meant to take us and narrow things back to Christ and Christ alone. Do you get where I'm coming from? And to celebrate the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we wouldn't be here without. We wouldn't know each other and we wouldn't be family and we wouldn't be united with people all over the world. So Paul is carrying this with great concern and I carry it as well for y'all, right? In verse 8 he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive, right? That's our statement right there. That's what, that we want to know what that's about. See to it that no one takes you captive. And then he goes on, he says, by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. I always tell you all the time, I'm like, when you start looking for your enemy, make sure you look out, put you first on the list. Because when times get hard, when you're in the middle of a storm and you're going through something, one of the things that we, our, our, our things we do as Christians is we get ready to jump boat. You know what I'm saying? We jump off the ship. Or we start going to war with Christ. And we actually, instead of looking ourselves in, in hard seasons and figuring out what's wrong with us and what we're missing, we start figuring out what God is missing. And that is how all of these different doctrines and these different mythical things and everything else and people float into wonderland with false truths is because they actually start questioning down God. They bring him down low like, he's, like they're face to face with him instead of being humbled up under him and going, I'm missing something, God. You're king of kings and lord of lords. Let me get my thing straight. We go, we need to straighten him out because I don't like the way life is going for me. So I need to twist God around and make him work for me. You get where I'm coming from? This is what Paul is trying to protect him from. So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's basically telling them if anybody comes with anything and they're trying to hold you captive to anything but Christ Jesus, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, tell them to hit the road, right? Leave no room for emotionalism. Leave no room for sensationalism. Tell them hit the road, Jack, right? Colossians 2 says it like this. This, this is, I'm in the same text, but just to give you an idea of what it means when I say these things, philosophy, empty deceit, he gets a little bit more descriptive towards the end of the chapter, right? And we'll just touch it real quick. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Like, don't let anybody be like, oh, you can't drink that. Or, you know what I'm saying? You can't eat bacon. Phil, can we eat bacon, brother? Can we eat bacon? That's, the, this, that's Satan. Don't, no way, brother. We eat bacon. I'm sorry. It's, I know it ain't healthy, but I'm just saying. All right. So this says, no, don't let anybody question you, right? And it says, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. When it's saying that, just so you can understand this, we're talking about even Easter would fit in that. Don't let anybody question you down like, oh, I thought you was a Christian. How you, how you celebrating Easter? But if you also, if you feel that, man, I feel like, you know, I shouldn't actually be celebrating because you're convicted, then you're free not to. But no matter what the case is, nobody should be able to move you from holding on to Christ, Jesus being crucified. Everything is in that. All these other things are open-handed. Christ is closed-handed. You don't let that get moved at all. You get where I'm coming from? This is what he's telling them. This is something for us to chew on every day, every day. This is where we need to be at. We need to wake up in the morning and get playing here. He said, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in details about visions. Well, I swear to you, they must have went, went to the church I used to go to. Going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding to fast to the head from the whole body, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Did y'all catch that? Not holding fast to the head. He's making the point, again, hold on to Jesus Christ with all you got and don't let anybody sway you with anything else. Y'all with me on that? It says the whole body is nourished. Christ is the head. We as the church are the body. 
everything we need is actually in the fullness of Christ as our head. And we don't let anybody else shake us. He's, put, he's going extra hard to make them understand this, right? And then he goes on, and, and, and so why? Why is this the case? Why do we lean on the, to, on the Christ like this? Why is it just him? You know what I'm saying? Like, I love Christ or whatever, but, you know, what's wrong with Buddha and all that? You know what I'm saying? He's cute. He got the belly out and all that. Why we can't do Buddha too? <coughs> Verse 9, he says this. He says, for in him, the wholeness, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? He says, and if you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What he's saying to you is this right here. Nothing is withheld in Jesus. There's no reason to look anywhere else because everything is in them, right? It says the fullness of authority when he's saying he's the boss dog, right? He's the boss dog. You get what I'm saying? If I get a chance to go work with Bill Gates, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to work with his secretary to learn. I want to go hit up Bill. Bill, where's the paper at? I know you know. You got all the money. Let me know where it's at, right? I'm going to go sit up under Bill and tell him to let me know, right, where the money's at. I'm not going to his assistant, to the secretary. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to know how to work the printer. You know what I'm saying? We cool on that. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, like, God is the fullness. He has everything. He embodies it all. The Bible says if you've seen the Son, then you've seen the Father. But if you say you've seen the Father and haven't seen the Son, it says you're a liar. So Paul is trying to let them know Jesus is the real deal holy field. He got everything on lock. He is the fullness of deity and all authority and everything and all rule is with him. So there's no reason to go anywhere else, right? And in verse 11, he says this. This is where he starts getting in after he tells us who we are. Excuse me. After he tells us who God is, he starts to go into who we are and how we are, how we've become what we are. In verse 11, he says this. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what does he mean there? When he says by putting off the body of the flesh, right, by the circumcision of Christ, He's talking about our death, right? He's talking about us dying to ourselves. And he's like, he likens it to baptism, having been buried with him in baptism in which, you, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So today we're going to actually see people be baptized, right? We're going to see people be baptized. And he is likening God, Jesus being raised from the grave, he is Bringing that into an understanding, when we go up under the water, it represents death. Like we are in unison with Christ when it comes to his death on our behalf. And when we come back up, we are in unison with him being raised from the grave. And I'm going to explain that as we go a little bit further because that's really the, that's the gangster stuff where you should start throwing chairs and all that. All right. But we'll get to it. I'll work it out in a minute. All right. And he keeps on. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Do you get that? He keeps saying all of he keeps saying these things where he keeps nudging towards the resurrection about being dead and being made alive, right? 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. It says, when the perishable, I keep licking my lips, y'all. It's not an L Cool J thing. I just then found out that the saints don't carry lotion up in the church. 
And I asked for lotion all over the church. Nobody had lotion this morning. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to put it on, on stage. It won't be a good thing. For, uh, it's, just, it's, it's in the pastoral. Every seminary tells you never put lotion on in front of the congregation. It's just it's not right. It's just weird and awkward. It's just strange. All right. But I'll get some for the next one. Thank you, though. Sorry. All right. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 says this right here. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, it's talking about us. When it's dead people put on life in Christ Jesus, right? And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Y'all ready? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me explain to you what that means, right? He says, oh, death, where is your sting? He's mocking death. And he says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this right here. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Y'all heard that before? So if the wages of sin is death, it means that the grave is for sinful people. Doesn't that make sense? That's a logical statement. It's consistent, right? If the wages of sin is death, it means that death is, has legal ramifications over sinful people. But if Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, is not sinful and has never sinned, and he's the spotless lamb, would the grave have legal demands on him? It wouldn't, right? Well, what if he took our sins to the grave also and made us clean like him? Does it have legal demands on us? This is why the resurrection is so significant. This is why when we say the grave can't hold them, I used to hear people in my church and my grandma's church, they would say that and they'd be like, the grave can't, glory to God, the grave can't hold them. And then the organ would start and they'd be like, dun, 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 dun. and I was, and so I'm like, that's awesome, but what, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, it must mean something good because everybody started going crazy. And the tambourines come out, you know what I'm saying? And then my grandma, you know, the hat be on or whatever, and that joint starts shifting sideways as she's bouncing. And, uh, and I used to be like, this is turned up. But I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant. It's what we rejoice in. It's why we come today or whatever. It's why this is a monument for us. Because the resurrection, without the resurrection for Christ, there is no resurrection for us. It makes everything that we talk about not be true anymore, um, if it's not true, right? Let me read verse 13. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Look at this. With its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Right? This is the craziest shakedown ever. This is the most gangster move ever to ever happen. All right? Jesus is, God is playing the devil so hard. Right? He just snatched us out of the, the, the grasp of Satan. All right? 
I'm going to read it to you like this. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, by grace through faith, right? It says, and you were dead in the trespasses, and, and, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What you have to understand here is that Paul has this way of when he's trying to encourage believers, he likes to, he likes to uh, build you up and then sweep your feet from up under you at the same time, right? Like if you think you have legs to stand on, he likes to knock the legs from up under you. But he likes to build you up in Christ, right? So the, 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 the thing is, is that he wants you to have no confidence in the flesh, so he's always pushing this point like, you know, he brings you back or whatever. After he goes through all of this stuff where he's encouraged you, he brings you back to like, oh, but you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He keeps doing that. He does that all throughout the scripture when he's talking because he's like, don't forget that the fact that we are here rejoicing in Christ and that our eyes are open to see him as our Lord and Savior is a work that he's done. Nothing that we deserve credit in. Because if you start thinking that you're actually cute or you're good enough and that you've actually attained to this yourself, then how can you even cherish a day today, like a day like today? How can the resurrection even taste good to you because you think you had something to do with it? You know, you end up not celebrating him, you end up celebrating yourself. You get what I'm saying? Straight up and down. It's like, you know, I did my thing and I'm in the reward of it. I'm good and I'm a good person, so I've made the decision to follow God and now his goodness is just raining on me. Instead of you were lost in your sin. It says, and were by nature children of wrath. No matter how you spin it, no matter how you tell a story, and you're like, man, I never got caught up in the streets or never did anything else, you were still a child of wrath. That's how God looks at it. That's how he looks at all of us. So it's a, an amazing, beautiful thing that we were actually called into his marvelous light. But Paul, that's what he routinely does. He sweeps the leg, Johnny. You know what I'm saying? Who saw Karate Kid? All right. Some of y'all too young or whatever. I just turned 40. I'm going all the way back. He did a sweep the leg Johnny on him, and then he brings him back up with the gospel, right? All right. He says this. He says, but God, being rich in mercy. He's talking about God, not you being rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He came to get you because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, despite the fact that you were dead in your trespasses, not looking for the Lord, he made us alive together with Christ. He keeps tying it to the resurrection. It says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are the subject of God flexing how amazing he is. All right? In verse 8, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You heard what I just told you. It's right there in the scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are the workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's where if y'all can clap, you should clap over that. 
we should, we should celebrate over that. It's not good preaching. It's good text. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. It's the truth. It's worth celebrating over. He's rich in mercy, and he has raised us up with Christ Jesus, right? Verse 8, really quick. This is what it means. Let me tell you this right here. It says, therefore, there is no condemn- now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the biggest thing that I want you to walk away with today just from from what what you're hearing is this right here, is the weightiness for us to hold on to Jesus Christ, to hold on to Christ, to wake up every day and to actually clear everything out of the way and to narrow our focus being on Christ as our everything. The other thing I want you to get more than anything is that you walk away and you actually understand what happened in the resurrection. In verse 15, and I'm going to end with this scripture, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And what it means is that he literally shook down Satan's reign over us. Satan had legal jurisdiction over us as sinners. He was going to take us and he's going to take us right to the grave because of our sin. Because we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Are you all with me? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So when Christ died on the cross... And he comes as the sacrificial lamb. The wrath of God that was meant for us is poured out on Jesus Christ. But Jesus willingly does it. He's not not killed. He actually lays his life down. And And he is actually brutalized and killed for all of our sin. Not for his sin because he's innocent. And so when he gets up out of the grave, that means the wrath that was for us. So what you have to understand is that the legal fulfillment for sin and the wages of sin, they have been fulfilled. They just didn't land on you. Jesus stayed in your place. So it means that the penalty was given, right? Somebody did get the death sentence. Jesus got the death sentence. But because he's innocent, he rose up on the third day. You understand where I'm coming from? He rose up on the third day. And, now, and, and that means so much for us because it means that we are going to raise from the grave. It means that the grave cannot have jurisdiction over us. It can't come to us. When that scripture in Romans 8 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's saying that Satan can't come to you and be like, man, I know what you did last summer, man. He can't, can't come with that. Can't throw the mask on and all that and run up on you and start blaming you and pointing at you because it has been paid for in Christ Jesus. This is so pivotal and it's so important right here because the one thing you're going to struggle with every single day of your life is Satan Satan trying to condemn you. This scripture is so necessary for you to keep handy and keep in your pocket and throw back at his face because anytime I talk to any believer, their struggle is usually always rooted in the fact that they still feel condemned. And when you feel condemned, it begets more sin in your life. That's when we're walking in the flesh, when we are dealing with the condemnation. But when the Bible talks about walking in the light and me walking in the spirit, 
that means that you're actually walking around knowing that you have actually been pardoned and your sins have been covered and you are actually no longer condemned and you get to wallow in the fact that you are actually a son and daughter of the Lord. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? Do y'all understand how amazing that is? Like, it's... I mean this. I mean this. This is pivotal that you take this home with you and carry it around with you. It... Most people don't even understand what it feels like to actually experience this in a real way because there's always the enemy lurking in their ear. Like, you are a royal mess up. You are a sinner. You're a liar and a hypocrite. And I know what you do behind closed doors. Or I know the lies that you tell. Or I know you wear your fake mask. And all Satan has is the tool of condemnation. But the Bible here in Romans 8 is telling us that we are actually free from condemnation. We are free from taking stock in that, um, in, in, in the thing we're being accused in, because that thing that we're being accused about, although it may have some truth to it, it doesn't pertain to us because God has actually taken the penalty for it already. So we can't brutalize ourselves by going, woe is me, I am a low-down, dirty dog. Christ knew you were a low-down, dirty dog when he died on the cross for you. That's actually why he died on the cross for you. Do you understand? So when Satan's like, look at you, you're an absolute mess. I don't care if you just sinned two seconds ago. That quick you can believe in the word of God. That quick you can actually repent and say, God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that this shame and all of this mess that I feel weighing on me right now, that you actually wore it already, and so I can cast off. I have a legal right to cast it off right now and glory in you that you've made me your child. I'm, I'm saying it to you like this because I think a lot of times people need words, and they need to understand how to articulate this fight with Satan when he shows up. Because later on when you're in the midst of the battle, it just sounds like you scumbag. And Satan just drills it and drills it and drills it and drills it. Or it feels like when you're a parent and you lose your temper on a kid and then you just feel disgusting. Not that I've ever been through this before. But, you know, you just feel disgusting because you're like, man, I just blew up and I just lost my temper and did that thing that I said I wouldn't do anymore. And then you're just sitting there like, whoa, it's me. You didn't lose. God already won this battle for us. He's already won it for us. He sees what we go through, and he's standing there not as a father who's looking to give you a whooping, but he's standing over you as a father who is looking to actually walk with you through the battle. Do you get where I'm coming from? And you're able to get up and walk through the battle because all condemnation has been cast aside. You're not even walking with the burden of this heavy bag on your back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because so often we get up to take the walk with the big heavy bag of all of our mess and man, I'm going to keep fighting, but I'm this and I'm that. No, you're not. You're loved by God, the creator of heaven and earth, who sent his son Jesus to die. That's what, he, what you are to him. He sent his son to die for you, to ransom you. And then he raised from the grave so your life could be resurrected. He's just waiting on us. Listen, like we got to just walk with him and watch him do some amazing stuff because he wants to resurrect what's broken. We're here on Easter today. I don't know if it's pagan holiday and the bunny false god is somewhere or whatever, and, and this, he's mad because this is his day, but we're resurrecting the day. This is our day now because that's what God does. He takes broken things and he makes them brand new. He looks for things that are broken and for breaches, and he calls us repairers of the breach. That's our identity because it's our father's identity. We take what's broken and we resurrect it back to life because his son resurrected us. He resurrected on our behalf and he brought us back to life. 
So it's what we do to broken things. And when we feel like things are broken in our life, we trust in God that he already has a fix for it. God will make a masterpiece out of your mess if you just trust him. If you notice in the scriptures or whatever, I jumped, right th- I jumped through it a couple times. But he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. It doesn't mean you walk around and everything's cute all the time, but it means that you are actually settled in the faith about who he is. And you understand that even out of horrible circumstances, God can make a masterpiece out of that because he is God. So you stay rooted in that, that he is still good in all things. All right. That's my sermon for today. I appreciate y'all. Let me pray. Everybody stand real quick. We're going to worship some more and we're going to take communion and we're going to actually get to baptizing some people. Um, I want to say this also, like if you're here today, um, I don't want to assume that everybody in here is believers. If you are, um, if you, we're about to baptize somebody, like, and if you want to get baptized, like if you feel like God is actually leaning on your heart right now to follow him, then I want you to actually, um, you can come over here and we'll talk to you. And, uh, and, and, and if God leads us to baptize you right now and that's what you feel like God is doing, then we'll do that. Um, let me pray. Just bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, Lord, that we get to worship you, Lord. We thank you, Father, Lord, that um, you are who you are. Even when it doesn't feel like we can grasp you and, it, and, it's, and, it, and, and you, you feel blurry to us, um, we know what is being said is good. We know it's amazing beyond all understanding but in our flesh the weightiness of it we can't savor what it is all the time but father we declare today that we know that you're king of kings and you're lord of lords and that you're lord our lord and savior we know that you love us father lord we know that even when it feels like the road is rough you're still being a light unto our feet We thank you, Father, Lord, for having mercy on us. We thank you, Father, that um, for being merciful, even when we're complaining about the road, even though I know that you mean good for us. I know that you mean good for us, and I know that you have good for us. But we complain sometimes when the road is rough. But I thank you for being patient with us even in that. Father, Lord, we just glorify you. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And then raising up three days later, Father Lord, we thank you that the body was not there, Father. We thank you, Father Lord, that like Peter, (coughs) who on one side of his death was there with shame because of denying him, on the other side of his risen, of the risen Lord, was blessed with mercy. I thank you, Father Lord, when we trip and stumble, Father Lord, that you're standing on the other side of that with mercy and love. Father Lord, help us to keep our focus narrow on the cross, to not get led astray with all type of doctrines and other things that are not rooted in the cross and rooted in your son, Jesus, Father. Lord, I thank you, Father Lord, for this table for communion right now, 
that you've called us as a family to do this, that we would not forget as a monument. We do this weekly, Father Lord, to remember what you've done for us, to remember that your body was broken for us, Father, that your blood was spilled for us, that as a family we have something that always points us to you and the work you've done on the cross. And Lord, we thank you today for Easter, that we get to come together and celebrate your resurrection, Father Lord, that you got up out of the grave because the grave, because death had no um, legal right to hold you. And in that, our innocence is declared, in that your innocence is declared, in that your deity is declared to all of us. So we praise you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.